Thank you for joining me in today's broadcast of Web Church. I do believe that you're going to be blessed today, touched and encouraged by the message of grace. It's so good to speak to you people of and the members of Dynamic Web Church to just hear the spiritual growth and to see how people discover who they are in Jesus Christ. If this is the first time you are joining Dynamic Web Church, I would just want to say to you, welcome to a place where you're going to experience the unconditional, dynamic, unending love of God. God is a good God that cares for us and He cares for for us in every need. And everything that we ever need or desire has been met by what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. I would just like to um, just welcome you again. If you're a first-time viewer, just know this, that you can relax, enjoy this message of grace. Maybe this is a foreign concept for you to go to church on the internet or via the web, but this is a church family. This is a place where we gather together as a, as a family, as believers of the message of grace. And even if you're not even a believer of the message of grace, maybe you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want you to know that you will never be condemned in this ministry. You will never be chased away. You will never be... We're not going to try and bring a consciousness of your sin. So if you experience a consciousness of sin, it's not because we want to bring it towards you. We are bringing the message of God's unconditional love. So, what you will experience here is the love of God. What you will hear from this pulpit is the love of God. The care that God has for man and what He's done in Jesus Christ so that we can believe in what God has done and then rest our minds in that. Amen. So, let's just pray together. And then I'm going to share a little bit on faith and we're going to have worship and then I'm going to get into the Word and continue with the revelation and the explanation of the book of James, which is many times very difficult to understand from a grace point of view. Right, let's pray together. Father, I thank you that we can come together today and we can pray in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you that as I preach your gospel over the air today, that I know that people are going to be touched, impacted by your unconditional love. Thank you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit speaks through me and touches the lives of so many people today. Thank you that you love us and that you care for us. Thank you, Father, that this message of grace will impact the whole world. Use this today, Lord, to touch as many people's lives as possible. Thank you, my God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, I just want to touch on the word faith and the word belief. There's a series under word well called uh, uh, faith and explaining, uh, explain to us what is effortless faith not to try and believe harder faith is not something you do to get God to do something for you faith is something that happens to you when you know what God has done for you hallelujah faith is a persuasion that comes to your mind faith is something that uh, it, it's, it's a result of excuse me the correct knowledge that comes to a person's heart when you, or to your mind. So if you get the correct knowledge time after time after time after time, then after a while you will start to get persuaded about that. And then the result of that persuasion um, is what we call belief. So don't think that you've got to try and faith very hard to get God to do something for you. The Bible says we only need faith as a mustard seed and then we will be able to tell uh, uh, sycamine tree to be uprooted and thrown into the sea or a mountain can be removed if you just at faith as a mustard seed so uh, it's not about how big your faith is it is what type of faith you have because just a little bit of the correct faith is, is, is so potent that it will get great results so don't let your focus be how great can my faith be, how hard can I believe and how can I push through to get God to do a miracle for me. No, it's just the right type of faith. You must just have the right type of faith. And the Bible says we must have the faith of God. Now you might say, Bertie, but that's impossible. How will I ever believe as, as with the amount of faith that God believes? You see, there, if, if you say that in your heart and that comes in your heart, it is a wrong perspective again. It is not about how hard you believe. It is about, do you have the same belief as God? Now, I do believe that there's great faith and small faith. You know, but the thing is, if we just got a little bit of the right faith, 
we will see the results. And it, one great thing about the right faith is that it's not in short supply. It is everywhere. It is where the message of grace is. It's where the message of God's unconditional love is. It is where the message is of what is done for us freely. Hallelujah. Isn't God a good God to give us faith as a gift? The Bible says that faith is a gift. It's not of ourselves. So, don't think that you can try and work up faith. I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe. And I'm going to confess now. No, that is just trying to persuade yourself about something that you're not persuaded of. What you need to do is not try to persuade yourself, but get to a place where you just hear that unconditional love of God. That's what you need to do. And as you hear that, as you see the examples in the Bible, as God has cared for David, as God cared for Paul, as God gave, gave revelation to Paul, as God gave for Peter, as God met the needs of the Old Testament people, how God fulfilled all the promises, all the prophecies, how there was a prophecy that Jesus would come and it was fulfilled, and how God is constant and unchanging, and He never changes, always good, always caring, never looking at the sins of people when He deals with them, always having Jesus in His mind. You will find that stability comes into your heart, and you will find how faith grows. Remember that uh, faith... Or, um, let's go a, a step further. Faith is just a persuasion of something. It's like, um, if I look at a car and I look as if it is uh, reliable or not, and it's as if it's in a good condition, then I will go and I will look at the tires, I will check the oil, I will check the water, if there's any water leaks, I will look at the mileage on the car, I will want to know if um, the guy that was driving it before me, if I'm buying a second-hand car, is... Um, is the drive well with it and then I will drive with it and listen to the engine and listen to the diff and the gearbox and whatever and I will look at the doors how do they open and close is there not too much dust that came through and, and all those type of things open the boot see if it has, the car's been abused um, look for oil leaks you'll check all those type of things to see as if it is a good buy or it, as if it is worth the money that they, they ask for it and when you look at it and you, all those points come together. You look at the facts. Yes, there's no oil leaks. Okay, it doesn't look as if, as, as, as if they just washed it off right now. The tires are in good condition. It's had one owner. It's not a very old car. It's got low mileage. Then as you go through that, you will find that you, persuasion that it's a good car comes naturally. It's not because you try to work it up. It's not as if you're looking at something that's got this, it just looks like rubbish, and now you're trying to persuade yourself this is going to work. And this is a reliable car. No, no. You look at the facts, and the facts brings the faith, or the persuasion. That's the same thing. All that we need to do is we need to look at the right facts. We need to look at the truth about what Jesus has done. And as we look at that, we find that faith comes right into our hearts. We find that faith builds up in our heart. Faith is just there. And as we get persuaded about that, like with a car, you are now persuaded this is a, a good car. You immediately find that you trust the car. And that's the word belief. The belief is the same word as trust. You rest your mind in all the facts that you've seen. And that resting of mind is the word belief, according to the Greek. So, if we believe God, we believe God as a result of the correct information that we've received. We receive all the correct information, then we are persuaded that God is a good God, that God will care for us, that God is not there just for Himself. He is there to bless us, He's there to care for us. And out of that we find that we exalt His name, we bless His name, and He becomes the number one in our lives. It's not something we try to do. It's something that happens to us. So if we believe God, and this is, uh, um, we rest our mind in who He is. Now, I want to just read Hebrews 11 verse 6. It says, But without faith it's impossible to please Him. For he that comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. So, if you come to God, it, it, um, it would be impossible to please God without faith. You need faith. Without faith it will be impossible, but luckily faith is a result of something that God, uh, a, a, a result of understanding what God has done for us. It's not something we work up. And out of that we find that our mind rests in God. And that word belief is to rest your mind in the integrity, 
veracity, which is a habitual observance of truth, and translating to the New Testament is resting your mind in the fact that God habitually observes Jesus when it comes to you. Hallelujah. Resting your mind in that. Resting your mind in the friendship that God has with us. So it's resting your mind in um, the habitual observance of truth, the veracity, friendship, sound principle of another person and his integrity. So let's rest our mind in the fact that God is our friend. Do you know what the word friend means according to Webster's? Friend is somebody that will um, bless another person and entertain him to the point that that person desires his presence. Hallelujah. Now rest your mind in the fact that God's your friend and that he is a God that is full of loving kindness. Amen. Whose vision is to see that you are saved, cared for, blessed, uh, forgiven, righteous, never under the, under a place, in, in a place where you feel condemned or judged or where you cannot have peace. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ came. When He was born, the heavenly host shouted and they said, um, Blessed be the Lord God in the highest and peace on earth. To all men. Hallelujah. Peace on earth to all men. Now, uh, it doesn't say uh, peace among men. It says peace to men. Now, what it means is that, um, it, 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 it's, it, it, in English it says actually goodwill towards men. Peace on earth and goodwill towards men. So, what it says is, God came to bring us peace, the emotion in the heart of a person that when he knows all his debts paid. That's what he came to give us. And goodwill, a good reputation. Hallelujah. It didn't say, well, Jesus was born, now you can work up a reputation if you go and obey the law now in the name of Jesus, in God, the Holy Spirit giving you power to do the law. That's not the New Testament. That's nothing to do with what God has done for us. We've been made righteous by the obedience of Jesus Christ on our behalf and Him becoming sin for us. Man, that's a mouthful. That's enough to have. That's enough reason to find worship and praise coming into your heart. Now we're going to go over to praise and worship. Listen to the songs. Check it on the, on your screen. Sing with us. Clap your hands. There. It might feel a little bit awkward in the beginning, but whatever you feel free to do, do that and enjoy this worship. This is a reason just to sing to God and worship Him. Enjoy the worship. Because you were forsaken I'm accepted You were condemned And I'm alive and well Your spirit is within me Because you died and rose again I'm forgiven Because you were forsaken I'm accepted You were condemned I'm alive and well Your spirit is within me Because you died and rose again Amazing love How can it be That you my king should die
Hallelujah. Worship is always wonderful. It's always wonderful to just sing the praise of God. Especially if it comes out of your heart. Amen. Never feel condemned if you can't sing. Never feel condemned if you don't even feel like singing. You know, I believe worship is also something that must come out of your heart because of a revelation of what God has done. Hallelujah. So many times we think that we must worship God to get God to do something for us. That is not the right way around. Everything that we do, every holy thing that comes from us, must be as a result of God. Otherwise, it's not born of God. We can have worship from a perspective of, if we worship God, then God's going to break through. The worship that's in your heart is born out of the will of man. It's not born out of God. That worshipping man that's worshipping God from that perspective is not born of God. It finds its origin in the willpower of man. Uh, It finds its origin if somebody wills. The Bible says, it's not of him that wills, but of him that has mercy. According to Romans chapter uh, 9 and 10. So, Know for sure that salvation is not out of him that wills, but out of him that has mercy. It's not by your willpower. I will be saved. And just because you desire to be saved, now you are saved. No, no. Don't think because if I just desire hard enough, then God's going to do something for me. No ways. The Bible says those that diligently seek him is blessed. So, what does it mean to diligently seek Him? It's when you come to a place where you say, I don't diligently seek how sincere I'm supposed to be. I don't diligently seek how righteous I must be. I don't diligently seek how obedient I must be to, do some, to get God to do something. I diligently seek what He's done for me. Amen. And that man is blessed. Hallelujah. So, that's why we don't have to worry about, you know, worship in the sense of, if I don't feel like singing now or feel like lifting my hands or whatever, then I'm now condemned. No ways. You know, if you don't want to lift your hands, you don't have to do it. But don't try and stop me from lifting my hands. Because I might just feel in my heart to do it. The other Sunday, I might not want to feel like doing it. Or um, there might be something good that's happened. And we want to just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Amen. Well, by the time you're listening to this, I will be in um, um, preaching in uh, Port Edward busy sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with people there, the good news. So, this is not a live broadcast. This, is a, uh, this was pre-recorded. Uh, and, man, we've been invited to go and do a conference, and this will be the Sunday morning of the conference. So, I'm preaching right here on the internet, and I'm preaching in the church. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? I thank God for this privilege that I can share with you, that I don't have to be absent one Sunday, but that I can always be there um, in web church and just share the gospel with you but thank God for the opportunity to go and preach in another church and just share the gospel with many people there and I do believe that from there 
in that place, number one, people are going to experience the unconditional, caring love of God. They're going to experience more of a revelation of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And uh, from there, more doors will open to share this gospel of grace. Hallelujah. Then we're also working with a group from uh, the Dutch Reformed Church in Krugersdorp. And we're doing a crusade in the uh, uh, Sky. So, I'm so blessed. I think it's in the Sky. If it's over the border or not, I don't know. Uh, can can be close to Port Edward. But it's an area that has been um, named as the, the most or the, the poorest area in South Africa. So, uh, or the poorest township in South Africa. So, we're going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ there. So, you can pray for us. Please do so. At the moment, you can pray for us. And in the week to come, share, uh, just share with us in this crusade. Pray with us. And I do believe that um, by this time the crusade report would be on already. So look at that on the website under crusade report. Open your heart to, sh- to, to come and join us in one of our crusades. We want to do this thing as a team. I don't want to do it alone. I would like to help you, equip you with a message of grace and then you help us and you help people to go and share the gospel of Jesus from house to house. Pray for the sick and see what God can do right, right in your life and right through you. Amen. Hallelujah. Now we're going to go to the book of James and um, we're going to start off uh, from just a recap, a little bit of the last part of chapter 3, and then we went about halfway through chapter 4, and we're going to see where we can get into chapter 5 today. Uh, yes, we've only got, just want to say this, we've only got one hour to do everything, so there's about 40 minutes left, and we're going to see what we can do. Amen. Right. It says here, um, it talks about two types of wisdom. The just a little bit of background, maybe you're slotting in today for the first time. We've been going through the book of James from chapter 1. In chapter 1 we saw that it was firstly written only to the Jews. It was not written to Gentiles. It was not directed um, mainly to the church. Although uh, there are places where it does talk about the church and what the church should do and how they should go about. But that's clearly marked and named. Otherwise we cannot take this and directly apply it to the church. It's not directly applicable to the church, but it is a good news. It can be interpreted in the message of grace, not just interpreted into the message of grace. This is a grace message for the Jewish nation. Hallelujah. This is awesome. This can be used for any person that's really under the law and explain grace to him in depth, if you understand this. So, if this is the first time you slot in, please go through the other sessions. I think we've already made four. Go and listen to them. It will impact your life. It will bless you. Um, it is, it, it is a grace-based interpretation of this book that is just astounding. Amen. Right, so the first thing we see there is, is written to the Jews. Then we also see that uh, um, the writer James says to them in chapter five, uh, verse 5, chapter 1, that they, if they lack wisdom, they must ask of God. For these guys weren't asking God. They were all desiring to be teachers of the law. And we can see that in, in Timothy as well. There were people of that time that did things like that. They were desiring to be teachers of the law. And then Paul said, these people went away from the truth. They, believe, they say they are Christians, but now they want to become teachers of the law. They don't know what they say, Paul said, and they don't know what they affirm or confirm and what they stand for. So they were affirming or confirming death and they weren't even knowing what they were saying. They didn't understand the scripture, couldn't explain the scripture. And this was basically written to Christians that had that mentality as well and to uh, Jewish people that weren't even believers. Okay, so um, now it comes and talks about the wisdom that is from uh, um, the, the two types of wisdom. There's two types of wisdom. The wisdom that is believing in Jesus, where the Bible says in First Corinthians chapter 1 that wisdom is to believe in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ became the wisdom of God to us. So the wisest thing that you can ever do is to trust in Jesus for your salvation, not anything you do. That's the wisest thing you can ever do. Amen. That's the wisdom of God. True wisdom is simply to believe in Jesus. True wisdom is to believe that He obeyed on my behalf. Hallelujah. It's the wisest thing you can ever do. <laughs> Amen. And then, but these guys, they were taking scriptures, Old Testament scriptures, and they worked out their own theories on how to be saved and how to be blessed. And, um, and then out of that, there was a certain fruit that came forth. And, and um, it just... let's. Um, 
Go to verse 6, it says here, And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue also among your members, and it defiles the whole body, and sets on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. So what he's saying to them is that their tongue, through the doctrine they preach and the language they speak, not talking about filthy language, talking about the doctrine they teach, is actually setting on course, or setting on fire the course of nature, and we can connect that directly to Romans chapter 7. Let's go to Romans chapter 7. Um, and verse 7. What say I then? Uh, I think it's 7 and 8. Let's make sure. Yeah, 7 and 8. But what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. No, I had not known sin but by the law. For I had not known lust except the law said thou shalt not covet. Now that word lust that Paul talks there is also the word concupiscence which means an abnormal desire uh, for something wrong. It also includes women and things like that. So Paul said that he started to struggle with that the moment he fell back under the law. We're going to see that in verse 9. It says, But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law sin was dead. For I was allow, uh, alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. So, what we can clearly see here is that sin, was, sin revived in the life of Paul the moment the commandment came. And here he says that the cause of nature, and he says, sin is in my flesh, in my fleshly nature. You find sin. And he says, sin, that sin takes occasion by the commandment. That's what it says. So, sin finds its way, the, the, the course of nature finds its way by the commandment, although the commandment is holy. So, here he says, listen guys, your tongue is actually a world of iniquity, set on, uh, and then he says, and it defiles the whole body, and set on fire the course of nature, and it's set on fire of hell. So, and then he says, listen, you can't, by trying to get right doctrine, free from the doctrine of grace, by your own worldly wisdom and theories, and when it talks about worldly wisdom, we're not talking about just other beliefs. It talks about beliefs that says, let's do the right thing, and through doing the right thing, then we're going to be blessed. Through that, you're not going to get anywhere. You know, you're not going to be blessed. It will just set on fire the course of nature. For a while, it will go well, and then a month later, you're going to find trouble. Or a week or two, depend on how, depends on how strong you are, um, you know, in, in trying with your willpower. So that's what he was talking to them here about, about the tongue. And then he says, this is not supposed to be so. You're supposed to have a good root inside you, uh, and a good tree, and then that will give good fruit. Now, we've touched on that in the previous chapter. I'm not going through all of that again. Um, Let's go now to the different types of wisdom. He says, who is a wise man endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of good conversation his good works with meekness of wisdom. So what he was actually saying, listen, if a guy is really wise among you, you know, you will see it inside him. It will be good works. It will be meekness of wisdom. Because these guys weren't really Meek, they were fighting. There was no good works. They, they had all this wisdom, but then they were fighting, killing each other, literally killing each other. It says, but if you have bitter envy and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. Now, so many times Christians will be so condemned when they hear the scripture. But this is not written for you as a born again, good news, grace believing Christian. But if you are saying you are born again, and you've got all this wisdom on how to change your life and how to do this and that, but you are fighting all day long and you walk with bitter envy and you hate other pastors and you hate um, other church members, you hate people with a passion, you hate them and this bitterness and towards them and all of that. Let me tell you, the wisdom that you have might not be from God. That's all. That, that's it. You might say, Barry, but I feel judged now. No, no, no. It's, I don't judge you. We are only looking at what you believe. And I find so many times, and this is actually not supposed to... You know, if you've really been in church for a while, and you've been a church leader, and you know what true church politics is about, and all the hypocrisy and hype and all those type of things, and backbiting and bitterness that goes with it, then you'll understand that scripture. If you're just a normal church-going member, you love the Lord Jesus Christ, you've got peace in your heart, don't even worry about that scripture. It's not for you. 
Right. The wisdom, this wisdom descends not from above, but is earthly, earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envy and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to entreat, full of mercy and good fruit, without partiality and without hypocrisy. He's not trying to tell us in this scripture how we should live. He's trying to tell us that we should get the right wisdom. We should get the right doctrine, the right teaching. Jesus Christ being the wisdom of God made the wisdom of God unto us. He is the wisdom of God unto us. And we can just, if we struggle with these things, we might just have to change what we believe. That's all. I'm talking about, uh, um, and, and if you go and read chapter 4, let's go into chapter 4 and I, I will explain to you. Now there's two types of wisdom. The one is a meek guy. And I'm not talking about a weak guy. I'm talking about a meek guy. A person that is willing to accept what God tells him. And God, what God tells us, number one thing is believe on Jesus and what I freely given you. That's the number one thing. Right. Let's go on. Then, then we get the other type of wisdom. The wisdom that says, by my own power, that sets on fire the course of nature, the law mentality. That thing just produces strife. Let's go to chapter 4. And, and, and let's see. Now he continues in chapter 4 explaining what the result is of the wisdom that says, by what I do, I'll become. It's like one of my friends. Um, we, we just spoke before I recorded this. And he said he spoke to somebody that said that he is a disciple of this great pastor now. You know, that's got these thousands and thousands of people listening to him. And uh, he says, well, I'm a disciple of this person. You know, to me, just by introducing yourself like that, this is foolishness. You know, um, you, you don't find Paul or James or any of those guys coming and introducing themselves, you know, I'm a disciple of this person. No, no. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And that's it. Amen. That's all. He's my brother and God's my father. That's all. And, 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 and that's just a, a way of introduction telling you that you actually, and I'm not judging the man, I'm just... I, I, this is man. This is my church. I believe in my church. I can teach my people what I want to teach them, and I want to teach you today that that is a sign of someone that finds identity in under who he stands, and not just in what Jesus Christ has done. And so my friend spoke to him, and and uh, they were joking a bit and talking about the gospel of grace, and and then they 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 said no, they also believe grace, but the law's not a way, and we should not just do whatever we want. Now, that is already language that tells you don't understand the power of grace. And, man, you'll find envy and strife coming in that. Sometime you're going to find it. There's not that true, true, true peace. And I'm not here gunning, uh, gunning down other ministries. Not at all. Please don't see it that way. I do believe that there are so many wonderful, wonderful ministries in this world. And even if there's law-based ministries, you can find... I mean, um, I... I I've been in the law-based ministry and it's not as if God's hands are chopped off and He cannot do anything for you. God loves us and he's, He knows you and He will bring grace to you. And it's not as if somebody that's under the law cannot do anything good. They can still do something good and they can still preach a message that blesses you. And God's got amazing ways as people are under the law and as people are sitting under law messages still to bring over His love and His unconditional care. And mercy, you know, so, and, and I mean, I've been, in my life, I've been a law preacher, I've been somebody that was just, you know, you're wrong here, you're wrong there, you should believe like this, why aren't you fasting, why aren't you reading your Bible, why aren't you this, why aren't you that, not sharing the unconditional love of God. I've also been like that, and people got saved under my ministry, people got healed under the ministry, people, there are people today that are pastors today, that I am teaching the correct doctrine today, that are running churches that we've planted, um, you know, that after I've left, fell into the law and were believing the law for many years. And that, I mean, they fell into the law after I preached grace to them. And they're, they're, those people are still there. Today they are getting grace. So, we can't just gun down everybody. But what I'm trying to say is, you know, that where there's law, you will find um, competition. Because the law says who, who's right and who's wrong. Where grace says, let's bless even the wrong. Amen. Let's not judge people's works. Let's be good to even sinners. Amen. Hallelujah. So, uh, it, because it's born out of a, a faith that says that God, I believe in a God that justifies ungodly people. Man, that's awesome. Every time I quote that, 
I believe in a God that justifies the ungodly. That's, that's where it's born. So grace comes from that perspective. Law comes from God justifies only the obedient and only those who really stand and really push through. No. God's, God's mercy on a sinner can bless him a billion times more than, a per, than that sinner becoming 100% obedient to commandments. Man, go and think of that. God's mercy on a sinner can bless a sinner a billion times more than his, if he would repent of all his sins and be 100% obedient to all the laws, not trusting in the mercy of God. Now that's something one can go and think about. Right, now it says here, from where come war and fighting among you? Come they not even from, even of your lust that war in your members. Now what is this lust? This lust is the fruit of being under the law that we just read in James there, chapter 6 and in Romans chapter 7, verse 7 and 8. Right, you have not, then he says here, um, you lust and you have not, you kill and desire to have. Listen, we are talking about people here that were so much under the law that this law even produced murder in their life. You might say badly, but how can the law produce murder? Now let me put it again straight, it's not the law producing the murder. It is the fleshly nature, the sin inside man, using the law to cause you to do these things and bring forth this death in your life. The Bible says the fruit of the flesh, the fruit of the flesh, in other words, what the flesh brings forth and now it uses the commandment to bring it forth. It becomes alive under the commandment. Romans 7 says, uh, um, I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. So under the commandment you see a manifestation of the sin. That's, that's how it works. So it says the fruit of the flesh or the fruit of being under the law that will manifest in your life, that's written down in Galatians. Uh, uh, Galatians chapter 5 verse 19. It says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest. Which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envy, murders. See, they're murders. Killing, okay? Drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of these I tell you beforehand. There he goes on talking about that. Now listen. That's the fruit of being in the flesh. He tells these people, he says, you lust and you do not have. Don't you lust because it, 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 this lust war in your members because of a result of being under the law and the doctrines of the law? That's it. You lust and you have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. What did they not ask? They did not ask wisdom from God according to chapter 1. It doesn't talk about stuff. It talks about wisdom. The context here is wisdom. It talks about the different types of wisdom in chapter 3. Remember, it was not written chapter 3 and then chapter 4 to these people. It was written in one continuous letter and we should read this in one sitting. Amen. Right. Verse 3. You ask and you receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. So, now they ask God, um, you know, give me wisdom, but they ask with a double mind. That's why it says, if you ask Ask in faith, know that God will give it to you, but don't ask with a double mind, with a law-based foundation asking God, thinking that, well, you know, I'm going to have more wisdom than this guy now, and now I'm going to have more than him, then I can say I'm wiser than him, and ooh, then I'm better, and this is all competition thing. It doesn't work like that. If you ask from God, ask from God, to, and this is the way you ask wisdom from God. God, give me a good understanding of what Jesus has done for me. Amen. And whatever you understand about what Jesus has done for you is the purest, most peaceable, most powerful wisdom that you can ever imagine. Hallelujah. Amen. Then he says, you, um, you adulteresses. Now, adulterers and adulteresses, why he says that is because they were whoring between the law and grace. Now, you're not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. That friendship with the world was talking about the Jewish world, that old world system. Amen. Never think that the world only talks about the people out there and it doesn't believe about, on God. That's sinners. The world that talks about is he came into the world and his own received him not. And that talks about the Jewish people. You know, whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. 
You must know this. When you're a friend of the world, when you're a friend of the law system, you're actually an enemy of grace. Do you think that's, <clears throat> that the Scripture says in vain, the Scripture, that, uh, the Spirit that dwells in us lusts to envy? In other words, what he says here, don't, don't you think, you are so in the law and all these type of things, don't you think God cares about you? That's what the message says. Don't you know that God cares about you? That's why He gives even more grace. Wherefore He says, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. So He says, listen, because God cares for people, that's why He gives grace. And He resists people that say, well, I can by my own power. I'm so full of, don't help me, I can get it right myself. I can be holy by trying harder. I can be blessed by my tithing. I can be blessed by my sowing and naming the seed and claiming the seed and all that type of nonsense. You know, so that's not what's going to bless you. That's, that's proud. That, that's to be full of pride. God resists that. He is not, that does, that's not acceptable to God. But He gives grace to the humble. So He gives grace to those who are willing to accept his help and His mercy. Amen. Grace being influenced. Okay. Submit yourselves therefore to God. So what he's saying is, listen, submit to God. Get rid of all these other devilish doctrines that you've got and all that. Get rid of that. Submit yourself to God. Okay. Resist the devil. Resist this old law teaching. Okay. And he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. In other words, get closer to God's way of doing things and you will find God manifesting in your life. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. How do you cleanse your hands and purify your hearts? It doesn't say, he's not going to re-implement the law now by saying, go and cleanse your hands by your own willpower and purify your hearts. No, no, we are pure and clean by the word that he speaks to us. We can go and read that if you don't believe me. Amen. You know, that's just something that we, we need to get into, and that is just get into the habit, ask God, you know, um, to help you, show you His unconditional love to the point that you want to read the Scripture. You know, because when you start to read the Scripture, these things start to make sense, it blesses you. It says you're in, remember talking about cleansing your hands, and, and, and cleaning up your heart. Listen to what it says, it says, I'm the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he purges it, or cleanses it, that it, it may bring forth more fruit. You are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. So if he comes here and he says in, in, in James chapter 4, we need to definitely read this from the perspective of the words of Jesus. You can't read James without the words of Jesus. Because Jesus is the Word of God. So what does Jesus say about cleansing your hands? How do you cleanse your hands and and purify your heart? By the Word that James was now preaching the Gospel of Grace, telling them, repent of your law, wisdom, and get under the wisdom of God. Amen. Be afflicted. And now it talks about these people that so under the the law. It says, be afflicted. Okay? Or, uh, um, and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning. Be afflicted. See that if I'm under the law, I'm actually afflicted. See your affliction. That's what he's saying. Because you're under the law, not grace. You're afflicted. Mourn and weep. Say, oh, what a terrible thing I'm in. This law-based thing, my own doctrines, trying to, by my own power, get somewhere. Oh, I'm afflicted with this law. I, I cry and I weep. And what was happy to me, because I get this new revelation out of the law, the next five things that I must do to get a breakthrough, the next thing I must do to get a revelation, say, say to yourself, and when you got happy about that, when you see another thing like that, that he says another five things I must do, start to cry. Cry. Weep. Heel broer. And let this joy of yours, because the joy, I, 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 I see so many people under the law, they're so happy about this law thing. He says, my brother, let that be heaviness. You know, my brother, we've got this new revelation from God. I tell you the truth, it's from God. Yo. If we do these five things and get five towns together around here and we start to pray, you know what? God is going to manifest because we are five towns together and five is God's special number, you know. In the year 2007, before August, because that is some Jewish feast. When you get that revelation, start to cry. Start to cry. 
He says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He shall lift you up. Humble yourself in the sight of God. When you see God, not your works, when you see God, it's only God doing it, only the Lord Jesus doing it. Humble yourself. Say, I agree with you, Lord, not by my work. And you will find that the Lord will lift you. Not you by your own works. Amen. You know, there was a man that challenged me <clears throat> that said, Yeah, Bertie, you know, your ministry is not going to work because of what you believe about finances. Um, he says, you can't run a ministry successfully on that foundation, on that basis. By not trying, not getting people to tithe, not getting them to sow, not that and whatever. You know what? I humble myself before God by agreeing with what he said. He said that he was rich, he became poor, so I through his poverty might be made rich. And I can boast in the Lord. And I tell you <laughs> um, that I don't have to prove anything to that man. Even if I lose everything I've got, that's not a sign of what Jesus Christ has done. Anyway, what he's done is proven on the cross. Hallelujah. It's not in just what happens to me. But, let me say this, that there's no way that we will not prosper because of what Jesus has done. Amen. There will come a time when I will give my brother a call and we will testify about what God has done. Hallelujah. And will be wonderful and will be gracious in the sight of God. I do believe that. Not to be in a fight with him, but to just show that God can do this as a testimony, like like uh, uh, Jesus said, go and go and show yourself to the Pharisees as a testimony unto them. So there will be a testimony. So let me tell you something: we humble ourselves before God. He's the one that lifts us up. Nobody else. Speak no evil one of another, because these guys they were so fighting with their doctrines and laws and um, this five steps to this and this ten steps to that, just and that they were speaking evil of one another. He says, don't do that. He that speaks evil of his brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. Now what he's doing here is using their own language that they can understand. For there was a law in Leviticus 19 that said, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And now what they did was, they got, their, they got other laws and forgot about that law. And then he told them actually, by your fighting, you, now that you're under this law mentality, let me show you, you're actually breaking the law yourself. And you speak evil of the law because the law says don't judge your neighbor. Now you go uh, and the law says don't speak evil of each other. And now you say yes, but he believes this and he does that. Now you start to speak evil on a law doctrine basis. Okay? Remember, Jesus, now you must say, but the grace people, they are are doing the same. You know, they say that the law guys are wrong and this and that. (laughs) Let me say this. I don't think it's good for any guy to go and just break people down. But Jesus Christ went to the Pharisees and said to them, you snakes, you brood of vipers, your father Satan. The context of this is not between grace and the law. The context of this is people fighting amongst each other because of a law wisdom that they have that brings fighting against each other and even murdering each other because of law doctrines. That's what it is. Okay, so don't bring this to grace. Read it in the context where it is. Speak not evil of one another, brethren. He that speaks evil of his brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and he judges the law. But if you judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge one another? So what he's saying, man, listen, get out of this judgment thing because they were judging each other on the basis of the law. He says, now that you're talking so much about the law, you're even breaking the law by doing that thing anyway. So, there's only one lawgiver and able to save. And his name is Jesus. So rather believe on him. And give the judgment to him. What, that was just another way of saying, listen, you're just breaking the law by doing this anyway. You are seen as guilty. Get this whole judgment thing out and let God be the judge. And if God is the judge, you know what the Bible says in John chapter 3 verse 18, I have not come to condemn the world or even judge the world. He says, for judgment I came into this world, not to judge but to be judged. If I be lifted up, I will draw all judgment of man unto me, according to John chapter 8, and there all judgment will be satisfied in the body of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Go to now you and say tomorrow, listen, now he continues to rebuke them. He says, go, go now, you that say tomorrow, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such and such and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what 
shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. For you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. Now, so many times Christians take that thing so out of context and just doesn't understand what it says. What this is actually saying is not every time you pray, say, Ach, yeraas it evil is. That's not what it says. Oh, sorry, that was Afrikaans. Well, if, that's the, if it's the will of God, you know, tomorrow we'll meet again if it's the will of God. That's not what it says. It doesn't say use that in your prayer. What it's actually telling these people is you are so wise in your own power and in your own theories on how to be saved and how to do things and we're going to do this, we're going to do this. Get the power, the thing out of what you will do for God, what you will do in your business and say it is not of my power but of the power of God and that was the way James was getting the people back to the gospel of grace where the focus is not what you do for God but what God does for you. Amen. Hallelujah. But I, but now you rejoice, uh, but now you rejoice in your boasting, and all such rejoicing is evil. So this is, but now you rejoice in your boasting, and such rejoicing is evil. Paul says, where is boasting in the New Testament? It says it's excluded. There's no boasting in the New Testament, it's been excluded. We boast in the Lord and what He's done for us. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So here he says to the guys, he says, listen guys, you that know how to do good, if you're under the law and you don't do it, you're a sinner. So rather get back to grace where Jesus Christ has done it for you. And I also believe it says, now that you don't know how to do good, doing good, leave the law and believe in grace and don't do that, that is sin unto you. That's as easy as that. Hallelujah. Well, we've run out of time. I would like to invite everybody that's never received Jesus as his Savior to come right now to the throne of grace and the throne of mercy and pray this prayer with me and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Amen. Receive His life as your life. Let's pray together. Father, I thank You for every person that has listened to my voice. Thank You that this message has blessed him. It brought peace to their lives, understanding of the book of James, and that they will rejoice. I thank You, Father, that You will save the lives of people today. I would like You to repeat this prayer after me and pray it with belief in your heart. Say, Thank You, Lord Jesus that you died for me. I believe in you, that you were risen from the dead on my behalf. I receive your life. I receive your forgiveness. I am a new man. I'm washed clean by the blood of Jesus. I'm not justified by my works but by your works. I receive you as my Savior. Amen. Hallelujah. hallelujah. That's awesome. If you've prayed that prayer today, right now, um, I would like you, and I would encourage you, go to the homepage of this website and click on Meet the Savior online. You can also listen to the message right there. Um, if you don't want to do that message, you can click on the message on the side that says there, it's like a banner on the side, there's a button there that says, I've just received Jesus. You click there and there will be three or four messages that I would like you to listen to. Please contact us if you've done so. We would love to share with you, pray with you as well. So do that during business hours when the office is open, business hours South African time. So. Amen. We're looking forward to your review. Thank you for all the members that have slotted in. If you've done this for the first time, I hope you've enjoyed this. I know you have. Thank you, Jesus. Let's listen to this song and God bless you.